to Season 2 of Granite State Golfers with Micah. I am an avid amateur golfer in New Hampshire. This podcast dives into the stories of the top amateur golfers in my home state. We are about to tee off. Please join me. Hey everyone, I hope you are well as we move into fall. This episode features Rich Parker. Rich has a decorated golf career as a player and as a coach, serving as the head coach for the Dartmouth men's team since 2005. As a player, he was a standout player at Plymouth State and would go on to win three New Hampshire Opens, one Mass Open, one Maine Open, and one Vermont Open, as well as playing on many mini-tours. This episode is longer than normal, and you will quickly hear why. Rich is a storyteller, and a very good storyteller. He also has an incredible memory. He shares some great stories about Q School, making it to the 1990 U.S. Open, and playing in the 2010 U.S. Senior Open. Rich also talks about what he looks for in recruiting student-athletes for the team, and he mentions some of the top players he has coached at Dartmouth. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy my conversation with Rich. Well, hi, Rich. Welcome to Granite State Golfers, and thanks for coming on the show. No problem. Happy to be here. And congrats. I, I saw that the you're going to be inducted this fall into the New Hampshire Golf Hall of Fame. Congratulations on that honor. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, I got the call from Phil Pleat, uh, boy, long before they announced it, and I, I didn't really even tell anybody. I mean, I think the only people I told was my wife and I did a camp in China, and I told them. <laughs> I waited for the announcement to come out. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's great. Um, and I think by the end of this show, people will understand why that's a well-deserved honor. Well, let's start um, back in back a few years. Where did you grow up, and when did you start playing golf, and who, who introduced you to the game of golf? Yeah, so I grew up in Lebanon, uh, and um, Carter Country Club was home home for me as a kid. Um, you know, back then, my parents both played golf. My mother was really good golfer, lefty. Uh, father just played, just to play. Um, I, I just, I grew up on the golf course, you know. It was, was member-to-own back then. We had 400 members, and we had a lot of kids that I grew up with that played golf. The two things we did around here that probably most towns didn't is that we we played golf and we ski-jumped, like, just, you know, that's what we did as kids, you know, besides the baseball, basketball, and all the other stuff. But yeah, golf was always always a big part of my life growing up but, and obviously continues to be here as I move along the journey. Yeah. And uh, you were a successful junior player. You won the New Hampshire Junior Championship uh, in back-to-back years. What do you remember about those wins? Yeah, you know... I didn't play a lot of tournaments. Like I never, I mean, I just played the lo- no, local, as in Windsor and Lebanon, just local little stuff. Um, I won that first New Hampshire junior. I was down at Brentwood. I think I was three down with two left uh, to Rick Patterson. I mean, this was like 40, what, six years ago? 40. I think it was Rick Patterson. I was playing at Brentwood. I was three down with two left. Ended up coming back to win the title. Then the following year, we went to Concord Country Club. 
and old Doc Elliott was the director of golf, and he and I, he says, you know, you're exempt for this tournament, and you know, I said, well, I don't want to be exempt. I said, I'd like to qualify with the rest of the kids, and he's, he's like, why would you do that? I said, because I've never played the course, and he goes, we well, think you're going to qualify. I said, well, I would hope so. I mean, why else would you give me an exemption? Um, so I qualified. Uh, and even that final, too, I played Chris Young, a kid from Kingswood, and I was five down after seven in the finals. And I just made a bunch of birdies. I think I made four in a row, came roaring back, and I think I took the lead on 17 to win that title. So you had to win the back-to-back title. You know, and like I say, I didn't really play in a lot of things. I mean, honestly, the only two major tournaments that I tried to qualify for of my whole junior career is – I try to qualify for the youth insurance. And I, I don't know what the name of it was, like the Disney World Championship or something. Well, anyways, it was, you know, New Hampshire. Qual- I won them both. And I had to decide which one to go to, national tournament, the only one I'd ever been to in my life. And I chose uh, the youth insurance classic down in Virginia. So I didn't I didn't have a story junior career. I just played golf and you know, because I played all the other sports. I mean, you know, every day for me in those days was, you know, baseball in the morning, golf during the day, basketball, baseball at night. You know, it wasn't like like it is now where kids just play. You know, yeah. it's it was just part of my routine. And yeah, I mean, I, I had fun with it. I mean, I was a competitor, but I'd say more than a better golfer, honestly. I didn't so I'd say that would be the reason why that I did get to win. Yeah. When I did. So you, you go off to Plymouth State for college, and when you went off to Plymouth, did you – I know you played a few sports up there, basketball, baseball, and golf. Was golf, when you went to college, was that important for you that you wanted to go somewhere where you could play collegiate golf? You know, the funny part about that is, Micah, that um, I went on a visit after high school to the University of Miami to play for golf, and I went to Amherst College and had a – I mean, I'm looking back on it now. It was obviously an illegal tryout where I played 18 holes with the coach. <laughs> the name was Tracy. He was a legend. I know his first name was Tracy. So I went out and played with Tracy. And uh, I remember I played Hickory Ridge. I shot 68 with him. And the next day, the University of Miami coach called me. I went down for a visit. And basically, the kid said I could, the coach said I could walk on. And I came home, told my mother, she goes, yeah, that's fine. You know, we'll remortgage the house. I said, forget it. I'm not doing that. So, you know, in that time period that I'm talking about, I I graduated at 17. I took two years off from, uh, you know, after high school and worked. I worked in a local steel company. Then I just got to the point where, okay, this isn't something that I want to do for the rest of my life. I said, I'm going to go to college. And I had saved enough money in those two years to pay for my first two years because, my mother's opinion was under the opinion that I was just going to go there and screw around. So it wasn't going to be her money. It was going to be mine. And I got to be honest with you, that nobody knew who I was when I went to Plymouth. And I had it in my mind that I was not going to play sports that first year because I did want to prove my mother wrong. Um, but I get there. Of course, I got the golf team. I'm like, well, this isn't really a sport. And, and <laughs> that, you know, and it was funny. We had like four kids from Lebanon on the team, a kid from North Conway. Uh, so I played that first fall of golf for Joe Clark and, and Junior as well. And then it was just crazy, the whole thing. I played pickup basketball every day. I mean, basketball was, was my passion growing up. And uh, 
I play pickup every single day at Plymouth. And then the coaches talked me into go the kids and the coaches talked me into going out, which I just didn't want to do. Uh, but of course I did. I had a, a terrible experience with it. Uh, you know, it was like a, uh, what's the word? I'm a college golf coach. When we get the, we only the old guys play, you have to pay your dues, right? I'm not, then I just got totally screwed. So I was turned off. Baseball came around. I go, not even thinking about it. Plus nobody knew I played baseball. And then, so then I just started all over again. I did pretty good in school. Um, came back the next year, played golf, played basketball. Went out for the baseball team, which is another story in itself, and uh, somehow made the team and then ended up having, you know, pretty good careers in all three. At the, you know, at the end, I was fortunate enough to be a captain of all three teams. Uh, and I think the beauty of that was that I just had so many different groups of friends that um, that I hung out with. You know, like if I got done basketball, I'd say, okay, boys, I'll see you next fall. Like, it was just one of those situations. There was a lot more to it than the sports, you know. It was yeah. just like, and, and of course, you can't do that now. But back then, you know, it, was, it wasn't it was that tough, really. The beauty of it is I missed all the preseasons, you know. Right. That's another reason why I liked it. <laughs> now, I was reading about your time at Plymouth, and I understand that in golf, uh, it sounds like one of your big achievements there was that you won the the ECAC individual conference title. Yeah, the final tournament, the final tournament that we get, we got to play, we went down to Essex County Club. As a t- we were not very good. Like, I mean, you had to shoot like ninety four to get the cot, you know, on that team. <laughs> um, but we went down to Essex in the ECAC tournament, and we won the tournament. We beat Harvard, Dartmouth. We beat them all. And then we got to go to the finals at Yale, and it was such a cold weekend down there. And I'm, you know, back then the people, some of the people listening will know, but you know, PH Horgan, Jimmy Hallett, all these guys that you know, we always fought over the tournaments. I didn't get to win that many in college, quite honestly. And it, it was just one of those weekends where I mean, I'm from the cold. I shot a pair of seventy twos in that final and one by seven down there at Yale. Um, you know, I got a, my proudest moment in college was for us to win that tournament as a team. You know, like when you're finishing second and third in most of the tournaments and your team's not beating anybody, it's it's just not fun. Yeah. You don't get in the van and talk about how great you played. That's not how it works. Right. But for that one weekend, it was it was one of the coolest things I've ever been a part of. Honestly. That's awesome. That was that was a good win for us. And then I was done. I had I was I was kind of I took the next fall off, and I was going to come. I came back to play baseball in the spring, but ironically, they cut the golf program that same year. Like they, apparently, they did a student survey. You know what sports in their order of importance. I mean that's hearsay. I didn't fight it, but so that was the end of the golf program right there. My last year. Wow. Um, when you leave Plymouth. What did golf look like in your life at that point? You know, that fifth year I'm talking about, um, a lot had happened in the fourth year at the end of it. <laughs> to get to lead me to Brentwood Golf Course in the summer and live there for the summer with Huey Barrett and Toby and the Barrett family. I lived right there in the shack on 18th for the summer. And, uh, 
I played in the USAM last summer, I believe. It was the only time I tried to qualify. I qualified for the USAM. I went down to Chicago, won my first match. And then I don't know how, I don't even know how this happened, honestly. Talking to Huey and, you know, I ended up playing softball and golf that whole summer. And that fall, instead of going back to Plymouth, I went to Florida with Huey, went down there to Daytona Beach down there, and they had a trailer down there. And I turned pro and I, and my first tournament, I won like 234 bucks or something down there in the North Florida tour. And, you know, I played in a bunch of them. I don't win a lot of money. I mean, I always won a little something, but, you know, Florida golf was different for me with the grass. And, but that's how I spent the fall. So now I come back to Plymouth as a professional golfer, which honestly was the last thing on my mind that I would ever do with my life. And then, you know, I finished up at school. And then, I mean, I don't even know what years I won the New Hampshire Open. I know it was early on in. And then I just said, you know, I won back-to-back New Hampshire Opens there. And actually, won, won, one of the years I won New Hampshire and Bangor in the same week. And I'm like, wow. You know, I mean, I know these guys are all spending a ton of money traveling the world. So then I went to tour school for the first time, which was an absolute disaster. You know, spend that money and just... I just did it so wrong. I was down there watching everybody warm up and play, and I just was miserable. And and then I I did it again. I did it the right way, you know. Then what was it? Eighty nine. I got to the finals. Got to the three stages. And you know, along that journey, I played in all the opens. You know, the main Rhode Island. And you know, I wasn't a. I mean, I was a good player. I was a good player. Didn't win a lot. I guess that's how I look at it. I mean, I finished. I think besides Jack and Nicholas, I don't think anybody finished second more than me. Um, <laughs> you know, I was lucky enough to. You no, know, I won a few. You no, know, I won a few. And when you want, just to pause there. So, um, so you you won three New Hampshire Opens. You won a Mass Open. You won a Maine Open. You won a Vermont Open. So I want to just go back to something you said. So you win. You've got some great success. In yeah. New England, and then it sounds like when you went to Q school the first time, you said you didn't do it right. Say a little bit yeah. more about what what was the gap or transition that just didn't work out well. Uh, so, yeah. So okay. So first of all, anytime I did any of these tournaments in New England, I always travel with a couple guys. Like for instance, when I won my first two New Hampshire Opens, I was sleeping in a campground with my friends. You know what I'm saying? So when I go to tour school, I believe I went to Indiana for the first one that I, Lebanon, Indiana, I believe was the first one that I went to. I was all alone. I didn't know anybody. And honestly, I didn't know any of the players. I knew that, you know, I, I didn't know, I didn't care. Like this guy went to Wake Forest. This guy, I just, that, nothing scared me, honestly. Like I didn't care what anybody did, you know? And, um, but I just got out there and I just got caught up in the wrong things. I just looking at these guys hitting the ball and I got thinking about my swing and, you know, I just, I don't even know. I, I don't think I even realized what I was getting into. I was just going to a qualifying tournament and, uh, you know, I spent a lot of time alone on that trip and just thinking about stuff and what I wanted to do. Could I do this? And then, you know, I think I came home and probably picked, had another good summer and won, you know, won a bunch of money. And, and then I just, I stuck with it. The, you know, you don't know me, but 
I generally don't take challenges on that I'm not going to complete. Like, it's like when I don't, when I'm not good at something anymore, I don't do it. I just, I stop doing it. Like, I think of all the sports I played, I slowly quit one by one. Golf's the only thing I have left. And I'm close there too, honestly. But I think it was more of a challenge for me. You know, it was no different. And, and we'll get further into this, I'm sure. It was, you know, when I played in the US Open in 1990, honestly, the only thing I ever wanted to do the rest of my life was qualify for you. U.S. Open and do it the right way because I didn't the first time. And I think that, you know, my when I was 50, I played in the Senior Open and I made the cut. I really, I kind of shut it down after that. I really did. I really played another year or two half-heartedly. You know, I tried to get back out there in that Champions Tour. But, yeah, you know, I just, I get something on my brain and I just chase it. And I'll do anything to do it. And uh, I think that I think that was the case with tour school. And then I actually became to embrace tour school. Like it was just like it was just. I just didn't understand like guys would miss on finals. They all be crying and hugging their wives. And like I just didn't understand that. Like, you know, it's just golf. And and uh, now I say that because the beauty for me is the years that I get to the finals ninety ninety one ninety four there was a place to go if you didn't get your tour card, right? We had the Hogan tour that started in 90. So all three of those years, I had a place to play. So it wasn't like it was tragic, but I I did, I never took it that serious. I just, that's one thing I, but if I could interview guys, I could remember some of the guys like, how the hell could you even play being that feeling like that? You know, it's like, I remember the last day in the fourth stage at Palm Springs, the last time I went, I just missed. I played my last, round with David Duval and Chris Perry. I was on the putting green. I was just talking about a game that was on last night and nobody's talking. And Mike Donald comes up with me and he said, I should have hung around with you all week. He said, I would have played way better. You know, I just, I was just golfing, you know, and don't, don't get me wrong. I get nervous. You know, everybody's nervous. When you go to tour school, second stage and all your buddies are there and you got 10 or 12 of them and, I could tell you some of the funniest stories that superstitious stories. Oh my God. Like the things you do, but yeah, I just kept pushing. I just never, I never got it. I was so close and so close. I just never got to there. And, you know, I got to be honest with you. The PGA tour was always cheering for me, you know, because I knew all those people after I played on the Hogan tour. So every year that they, they were, they really wanted me to make it only because for one reason that I've been the only Alaskan born PGA tour player. <laughs> so that was, that was always a big topic of discussion when I was at tour school finals <laughs> to get me through. Yeah. That's great. Let's go back to the 1990 U S open at Medina. Um, you mentioned, I think you had said that you didn't go about that right to get into it. So what's that story? And then what do you remember about playing at Medina? Yeah, no, that was an amazing run for us. So, I qualified both qualifiers at Long Meadow, and I went down to Canoe Brook. I, I made both of them in a playoff to get to the U.S. Open. And ironically, Jeff Julian, who was my best, you know, one of my best friends at the time, we traveled the country together. It was the first year of the Hogan Tour, and then we played all the mini tours. I mean, we go to Florida, sleep in our trucks. We, I mean, we we'd been we'd been through a lot together. And I, I'll tell his story quick, quick. So, you know, we're. I qualified in Summit, New Jersey, because all the PGA Tour players were there, so there were a lot more spots. Well, he signed up for Portland, but he thought it was Portland, Maine. So time's <laughs> come. I'm getting ready to go to Jersey. He goes, I'm going to Portland, Oregon. I'm like, 
Yeah, I know. He signed up for Portland. He goes, well, I thought it was Portland, Maine. I said, well, have a good trip. Well, he went out there. There was only one spot available, and he won it. Wow. So we both make we both make the U.S. Open. Members of Hanover Country Club, the Upper Valley. You know, it was a pretty big deal around here at the time. And I got to tell you, all those Hogan Tour guys, they had me convinced I could win it. It was insane. Like, I definitely was feeling way better than I should have been going to Medina. Let's put it that way. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> so anyways, we get out there. First, first round. Play practice round with Jeff. I don't know, a couple of hackers from New Jersey. I can't remember who we who they was in the group, but we've got this old guy following us around and he's teaching me and Jeff. He's teaching Jeff. He's Jeff's teacher, who who I have no idea who this guy is, but he's teaching me how to chip too, you know, because I'm friends with Jeff. We got 18 holes of this guy. Remember, we get on the first tee. And uh it was packed. I mean, it was like nothing you've ever been a part of. You know, it was just like rows and rows of people. And like the guys I was playing with, like, they were so nervous. No one wanted to jump up on the tee to start the first practice round. And the guy's like, well, who's going? I'm like, I'm going. I'll go. I jump up. To, hey, now for Lebanon, New Hampshire, Rich Parker. You know, they were local people who knew. You know, they went out to watch us play. I didn't know people going out there to watch and people lived out there. Everybody's hollering. I get up, my pound the street with right down the middle. It's like, boom, let's go, right? I'm in. And uh, so, anyways, I play the first practice round, and uh, we got this old guy teaching us. And finally, we get done. I said, Jeff, I go, who the hell, who is that guy? He goes, that's my teacher. I go, yeah, what's his name? He goes, Harvey Ward. I'm like, who's Harvey Ward? He goes, he's the greatest amateur of all time. I go, really? He goes, really? You know, back then we didn't have computers, and phones, and stuff. I like I said, okay, whatever, I believe you. So the next day I play a practice round. Jeff's playing with some, another group. I'm on the course, and I look across the fairway and I see Jeff on a green. I go over there. He's playing with Tom Watson, Payne Stewart, and Jose Marie Golf My Ball, and Harvey's in the group. I go, what's this? He goes, these are all the guys Harvey teaches. And I'm like, oh, my God. If we could have done these rounds in reverse. <laughs> right? So, and let's, let me tell you something. I got more lessons. On, I, I carry Harvey with me today, and I pass it on to all my players. Phil Pleat is definitely a Harvey Ward guy who I've really, you know, uh, given a lot of information to over the years. Unfortunately, James just never cared about that. Um but that U.S. Open, I just spent so much time at the course practicing and just, I mean, you're talking Seve and Faldo and Big Jack. I mean, it was Mickelson's first U.S. Open. He played in the morning round and he comes in, he shoots seven. I'm getting ready to go out. I go, great round today. He goes, was I on TV? I'm like, yeah, you're on TV. That's honest to God. Phil Mickelson, he was like 20, right? And I was, like, was I on TV? I go, yeah, he shot seven in the U.S. Open. But the thing is, by the time the tournament started, I was exhausted. I spent all my days out there, you know, just hitting balls, hitting balls. My wrist was so sore. I was out there with Aoki one early morning, just me and him on the range. And I looked at him. I said, you got any aspirin? Or I, I think it was aspirin, not Advil back then. I said, any aspirin? No, no English, no English. I said, okay. And then, like, 
of course, I never left. I got Faldo coming in, Norman and Seve and Watson and uh, Sandy Lyle. I'm just thinking of all the characters back then. And uh, two hours later, Aoki comes and taps me on the shoulder. I go, what's up? He goes, is your headache gone? <laughs> he spoke English. He didn't want to speak to me. I looked down and started laughing. I go, I don't have a headache. My wrist is killing me. And just, I just, I was so burnt out. I, I got to tell you how burnt out I was. I missed the cut. And Jeff missed the cut. He goes, we're going to have a great weekend. I go, doing what? He goes, we're at the U.S. Open. Are you kidding me? I go, I'm leaving in the morning. I'm not watching the U.S. Open. I'm going to do this again. I'm not going to watch these guys. I went home. I got home on Sunday. I played in the Vermont Open on Monday and Tuesday. I won the Vermont Open instead of staying and watching the U.S. Open. I probably, That probably never would have happened. You had work to I, do. If I hadn't have done that. And I just like, and I've always been that guy. Like, I got invited to go to the Masters 25 times. My buddies were playing it. And I was so stupid. I said, no, I'll go to the Masters when I play in it. I was just that, I was just that stupid. You know, I just, that's who I was. And so that U.S. Open, I just let it, it just got to me. And then that just drove me crazy. I lost in a playoff to play at Beth Page in a, it, the most worst story you could ever hear. I played great. I played with P.H. Hogan and Grant Waite for 36 holes. I thought I was in. I had a chance to make birdie on the last hole on a par five. I hit it in two, but I was I hit it just over in two, and it was super fast out. So I, I actually played it safe. I chipped it about 12 feet by. I said, I'm not leaving above the hole. I missed the putt. I assumed I was in because I, I played really well, and that's including two lost balls, most freakish two lost balls in the history of golf in, this, in those 36 holes. I ended up in a playoff. I think it was seven for four. We're talking Harrison, Frazier, and all tour guys. And uh, so a guy had come running down to me in the playoff before I play off. He goes, listen, there's an extra spot they're not telling you about. So I said to the official, I go, we playing for four spots or five spots? He goes, I don't know where you get your information, son. You're playing for four. Long story short, I hit it in a fairway bunker on the first playoff hole at Century. I make bogey. Three of us make bogey, four make par. They're in the U.S. Open. Now it's me, John McGinnis, and some guy. I I couldn't. Whatever. It doesn't matter. It was me, John, and this guy. So we go to 11. I hit it in there like four feet for birdie. John's 90 feet for birdie. He two putts it. I miss. John birdies the next hole. We've played 39 holes. It's getting dark out. Get in my car actually drove home and had to play Green Mountain National. I was playing on the New England Pro Tour. Played up at uh, Green Mountain National the next morning after going 39 holes the day before. I got done my round. I played a good round up there. Shot, I don't know, 67, 68. Got to my car. My buddy who was caddying for me, best friend at the time, Shane McDonald, said, I hate to tell you the bad news. I go, what is it? He goes, John McGinnis just got in the U.S. Open. They did have an extra spot. I just started throwing up in the parking lot. I was so upset. I was, I was so mad. I mean, I think I probably stopped playing golf for a couple of weeks. Honestly, mm. I think I, I just, I, you know, the USGA calls me. It was a human error. I'm like, what are you talking about? This isn't a member guest. It's the damn U.S. Open. Like right. we knew there was a spot. You knew there was a spot. 
you know, the bottom line is if I would have played better, I'd make it. I get that. But that was just, that just left such a sour taste in my mouth. Then I just forgot about them. Then I didn't, I didn't even send in my application. I said, screw it. I'm not going to do it anymore. I'm done. And then when I turned 50, which is a story in itself, if you want to go right to that, uh, you know, I'd gone through champions tour, tour school. When I was 50, got to the finals, played amazing golf. I had it like, I think I was 12 or 13 under par coming around the horn with a few holes. Made a couple bogeys coming in. Shoot, I shot 10 or 11 under for the tournament. I ended up in a playoff, like the fifth spot or something. Don't win that. And, but I, but what it did was allow me to qualify for the events, which that's nothing I was interested in, quite honestly. So I tried one. I went up to uh, BC Classic up there in Endicott, Dick Sporting Goods. Four spot, shoot, five under, make it, play in the tournament. It was the played my last round with Crenshaw. My last round that day was with Ben Crenshaw. It was was one of the highlights of my golfing life. Wow. Um, he couldn't have been nicer to me. I mean, he still, I still have people tell me Ben says hi, you know, when they see me that are friends with him. So I get to play with him. And then I went up to this is a crazy, this, I mean, stories get crazy. So I decide I'm going to go to Canada and qualify up in Montreal for the Champions Tour event. Bring my buddy from home. We go up, we get there. I think it was on a, it was on a Monday. It was on a Monday. I had scheduled U.S. Senior Open. I was scheduled to play at Tedesco on a, on a Tuesday. I get up there, and Owen Brown shows up. He wants to caddy for me. One of my buddies, you know, Owen, he won the Senior Open. So he caddies for me. I shoot 72, miss it, jump in the car, drive straight home to Lebanon, go to, right to Carter Country Club and go right to the – my practice tee and hit like 30 balls go home eat dinner scotty peters picks me up we drive to boston i'm like first or second off the tee down there at tedesco i shoot 64 we're going to the senior open in sahali and here i am i'm back in the u.s open where i always wanted to be it was incredible i got up there i did it right i played great made the cut it, it was insane like Honestly, when after that, I was fulfilled. Yeah, I was fulfilled. Yeah, it was amazing. That's an awesome story. Yeah. Let's fast forward uh, a few years and switch over to coaching. Um, you've been the Dartmouth head coach uh, since 2005. What, when you first got into it, what attracted you in wanting to be a college golf coach? Yeah, I just I just got asked that question the other day at the tournament down Temple. Um, then I, I messed around. I ran four-year range, you know, where Scotty had his buildings. And then I, I ended up being the, ironically, the I was general manager in the pro at Carter Country Club at the time. When this I was there for nine years, where I grew up and where I lived above the course in the neighborhood at my, when, when I was working there, where I raised my kids. And I got a call from, I never thought about being a college golf coach. Honestly, growing up, I was going to be a high school basketball coach, be a phys ed teacher, and that was what I was going to be. And um but that fell through. I actually had a chance to do both, but 
chose to go to South Africa to play on the Sunshine Circuit golf tour, and that bypassed my coaching career because Lang Metcalf was getting done at Lebanon, and I was in. But I bypassed that. I don't think many people know that story. And um, so I was at work one day, and I got a call from the AD, Josie Harper, up here at Dartmouth. And she called me up. She goes, Rich, she goes, uh, there's Josie Harper from Dartmouth. Hi, Josie. Nice to meet you. She goes, could you come up and uh, see me? I said, yeah, sure. I didn't know Josie Harper. I didn't really pay attention to Dartmouth, honestly. If you live around here, it's, you know, what you just, you, you don't. And um, as a kid and stuff growing up, you know, unless you're a hockey fan or a football fan. And I came in the building here and I met, sat in Josie's office. She said, oh, well, I'm just going to tell you, I'm, put, I'm, I'm in a bind here. She said, my golf coach just quit on me. I said, well, when's the season start? She goes, uh, about five days. I said, what are you thinking? She goes, I'd like you to be the interim coach. Said, you know, see how you do. You've been highly recommended. And I'm just like, wow. I said, I mean, I, I said, I certainly would like to do it. I just never, it has never entered my mind. And she goes, and by the way, it, you know, in that fifth day, you have to host the Dartmouth Invitational. And I'm like, I went home to my wife. I'm like, can we do this? Like, can I do this? You know, I called my boss, Doug Holman. I said, I've been offered this chance. He goes, yeah, you should definitely do it. And, and my wife was on board and we came in. I said, yeah, I, I'm in, Josie. And I coached that first fall. What a what a group of kids I had. Just such amazing. I look back on it. Just all older kids and just and it was I can my first tournament. So we we host the tournament. My first tournament, I've got my captain, so I make him qualify. My captain's from Augusta, Georgia. His grandpa's was, at the time was the oldest living member at Augusta National, and he doesn't qualify for the varsity team to play in his last Dartmouth Invitational. And the kids are looking at me like I said, I know I'm new at this, but what was the point of qualifying if we if we're not going to use the qualifying, you know, I felt terrible for Keenan. I really did. Like, but I'm thinking to myself, if I'm actually going to be the coach here longer than three months, you know, you can't start. I don't even know the kids. I've only known them five days, but I knew that the passion Keenan had for golf. And, and honestly, I went home that night and he sent me an email and he said, coach, it's my fault. I should have qualified. I'm one of the top five best players, and I didn't. He goes, I'm with you 100% on this. You're doing the right thing. He said, I got to tell you, my parents are coming to watch me play for the first time. I don't know how fun that's going to be on the B team. <laughs> so I, that's how my career started. First tournament I ever went to pick the kids up. I had no idea how things worked. Like, I know how it was when I played college golf. My coach was very organized. You had to be here at this time, this and that. I just assumed that's how it was. Well, I went to the clubhouse to pick the kids up, and there were three there. We need five to play in a tournament. I go, where are the other two? They're probably sleeping at the fraternity. I said, okay. We go to the fraternity. They go and wake them up. They come out. They get in the van. We go to the tournament. We play. We come home. And I addressed the team and said that 
is not ever going to happen again if we leave at nine o'clock or seven o'clock or 11 o'clock we're leaving and those times we don't pick kids up you guys are at dartmouth college you're not at plymouth state right this is this isn't how it works like and i'm just thinking about it like who was coaching these kids between myself and bill johnson i knew the answer but it, it it wasn't even fair to the kids like you have to have some sort of structure to have any success and, and that's how it started for me you know we got through the season i, lo I loved the kids they liked me and they were funny in the van though because all they want to do was hear about me and because back when i took that job i was still a really good player and i could beat them all and but you know what i never talked about me i never told them anything you know what it was because i know that that's not how it was before me yeah and so it was always about them and they always grill me and oh we had so much fun that first year i mean we went on the most amazing spring trip that had already been set up we went pebble beach cypress point san fran riviera la bel air i'm like this is insane like this is a college golf coach does like it was set up to me the first year <laughs> it sounds pretty good so i got to the winner Got into the winter. Josie brought me in. She goes, listen, we want to hire you. You know, back then it was a part-time position. Didn't pay a lot of money. I said, yeah, I'm interested. I definitely interested. I talked to my boss again. And he said, listen, as long as it doesn't interfere with what we're doing here at Carter, it's fine. So, yeah, then I took the job. And here I sit 19 years later, still doing it. Yeah, it's incredible. What, um, what quality, when you're doing recruiting, what qualities – are you looking for in players to join the Dartmouth team? You know, my criteria has changed over the years. Like it's just a different era we're living in now. Like I just honestly, in the end, I'm looking for good kids that can play golf is what I'm looking for. I don't, I'm not, I don't chase the money. I don't care where you came from. I don't care if you, what tournament you don't have to travel the world ajga and the hurt you don't have to do any of that stuff and i know i'm in the minority for that as far as coaching goes but i'm looking for good kids who can play good golf is what i'm looking for first and foremost you know we get to do so many camps now and spend so much time with the kids that you really get to know them and their families you know, recruiting wise, you can't do any of that stuff you know you get to go watch a kid at a tournament then you got to go in your car and email him and you know, so the camps have really, really, for me, have been really beneficial. And it's not easy. I'm going to recruiting is not easy. Like, I'm getting a lot of good kids, but I'm just getting that special kid who wants to come to Dartmouth. You know, when you're in a league with Harvard, Yale, and Princeton, if you get outside of our little, our little eggshell here in New England and the East Coast, it gets difficult to recruit kids because – most of these kids are controlled by their parents, what their parents want them to do at this point, you know, the way the, the world that we're living in. So I think, you know, the success that we've had here at Dartmouth, now the women's team's loaded for the gills. They could win their first ever this year. They just played an amazing tournament down at Princeton last, uh, yesterday. I just think it just takes, it's not, it's not just about who I want, but do they want Dartmouth and do they yeah. want me? You know that so it's it goes both ways in that regard you know yep. so 
I'm finding the earlier I can get a kid and commit him, the better off I'll be. And this year, I that's another story in itself. I'm, I'm kind of scrambling around because I put all my eggs in one basket for my second recruit, and it just didn't happen. And then it just, you know, so my philosophy is now if I find a kid who's junior in high school, the problem with this sport is you can't recruit on potential. And and I'm a guy who takes kids. I, th- I think in my mind, I think I'm like a, I can fix people. You know what I mean? It's it's hard to explain. I, t- I You know, I've taken a few kids over the years where coaches will call me like, what are you doing? I'm like, I like the kid. I like the kid. I'll make him a better girlfriend. I'll make him a better person. And what am I, two for five maybe in that department? If I had to go over the statistics, yep. but all five are worth the risk. Right. You know? They're all good yeah. kids. They all leave here better people. Whether they leave here better golfers, that's up to them. Well, that's, that's not about me. Well, that's that's the most important thing. And that sounds like yeah. a good track record that you're willing to take yeah. those risks. Maybe this is an unfair question. So you've coached, you've been there a while, you've coached a lot of kids. Any particular players stand out in your memory that you wanna that you wanna talk about? I've coached amazing players. I mean if you go, the top five's tough. The top five for me is a tough one over the over my nineteen years. Number one is Pete Williamson. I mean, that's not that's that's not even a debate. I mean, three Ivy Championships, finished fourth in the other. Should have been four time Ivy League Player of the Year. Hometown kid from Hanover, ranked eleventh in the world amateur rankings when he graduated from Dartmouth. I was a leader, wanted for nothing. He studied and played golf. He sat in the front seat for four years, which has never happened. And then you've got you've got James Plea. You've got another New Hampshire kid who was probably my easiest kid to coach. I love all my kids, but he's 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 something special. You got Jason Liu, you got Ian Kelsey, guys. So Jason Liu is a is a is a top fiver for me, and I won't name the fifth because there's probably eight kids that I could name fifth. <laughs> Fair uh, enough. Jason, Jason Liu is a kid that came to me from um, Loomis Chafee down in Connecticut. I made Jason a captain as a sophomore. Really difficult. It was difficult for him. And I knew it was going to be. I knew the crew that we had. And I, you know, I asked him if he could handle it. He thought he could. He ended up being a four-time captain for me because he got the COVID year. He he was a beast. He played hurt. He was a leader. He was tied for first with the greatest putter in the history of the Ivy League with Pete Williamson. He was humble. And now he's at Dartmouth getting his PhD another four years. This kid is one hundred trillion. Wow. So those are my top four. I I can't leave Mark Turner out of there. So let's go top eight, and I'll name you the top five. Okay. The top. It'll be All Mark right. Turner, Ian Kelsey, Jason Liu, James Pete Williamson. Love it. That would be if we were 
If we were headed down the road for the alumni invitational, that yeah. would be my score. <laughs> that sounds good. <laughs> let's um let's go back a little bit to your game. Um when you were you obviously had great success. Uh tell us about your game. Like what when you were playing your best, what were some of the hallmarks of what you did really well? What was your game like? Well, now that I'm not good anymore, I know what I know what all those are now. <laughs> but what I was best at was I never hit a ball left. Ever. I never hit a ball to the left of the golf course. Um, I played with a weak grip. I just aimed everything down the left side. I remember a titleist used to show up at card and bring me drivers to try out. If I had a foot left, I wouldn't take it. <laughs> I never hit the ball left. I was a really good iron player. I drove the ball straight. I hit it long when I needed to, but I didn't play that way. Um, I was a good three-wood player off the tee. I always play with a 12-degree three-wood, so if I ever need to turn the ball over, I would use my three-wood. Um, iron play, I was a finesser. I mean, I hit my seven iron 155 yards my whole life, right? Um, I could, I could, you know, tell you funny stories about my college coach, but, you know, came to me one time. He says, how far were you? I said, I don't know, 150-something. He goes, well, what are you going to hit? I go, I don't know. He goes, well, what do you hit 155? I go, about four clubs. I just played that way. You know, I could hit my seven iron from 130 to 180, but I did about, you know, 155 was it. My eight iron was 135, 140. I didn't swing hard. It's just amazing. If you watch me play golf now, it's just like, it's insane. Like, I, I think back on it. I can't hit a soft shot now. And the thing I hit soft is my putter. You know, it's like, it's 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 ridiculous. But, it was a, I mean, I never hit a ball over a green. I bet I hit five balls over the green in my life. You know, I watch these kids play. They shoot every pin. They don't know how to use a pin sheet. You got to teach them how to use pin sheets. And, you know, we didn't have the radar guns. I still don't have one. I don't use one. I could stand out in the fairway and get within two yards, like 99% of the time. I played as a field player. I mean, I thought I was a great putter. Obviously, no one else did. I mean, when I putted, you know, when I – everybody says I underachieved, which just is comical to me, but um, – when I putted great, I shot in the low 60s, mid to low 60s. When I putted average, I shot 70 to 72. I never really putted bad. I mean, putting bad is what? I played in the main open one year, putted for 54 under and shot four. That's not great putting. I mean, I just never three putted, right? They called me two-putt Parker. I'm not sure that's a great <laughs> nickname to carry. <laughs> but, I mean, you know, when I was hot, I was hot. and But I never putted bad. I mean, I just... I mean, I guess I look at it because I hit so many greens and I didn't think it was bad putting, but I I wasn't a bad putter. I was a good putter. In my mind, I was a great putter. Uh, yeah. but, you know, you have to think that way. You know, right. Bill Johnson was my teacher after every time that I would, as I was leaving, he goes, who's the greatest putter in the world? I go, I am. He goes, you're done right. You are. Right. And that's just something that, you know, you have to believe in. And, yeah. and I felt like I was. Like, I'm, What do you um? One of the questions I ask people on the show is we talk about what's in the bag. So what are you currently playing? Let's start with driver and take us through what you're currently hitting right now. You should ask me what was in the bag, what's not in the bag. <laughs> um, what's in my bag? I have, I have a Callaway Maverick driver. I have like a 
hot spot or a hot shot three wood Callaway. I don't even know. What is it called? Something hot. 13 degrees. I've got a sonar tech hybrid that's probably 30 to 35 years old. I had two. I had to retire one. I have a I just got a club from Alex that I'm hitting the heck out of. I don't even know what kind it is. It's like 22 degree hybrid. I don't even know who makes it. If it's Ping or Callaway or Titleist. I have Maverick irons. I have still the Ping I2 sandwich that I have since 1977. Then I have some kind of Odyssey Potter. I couldn't even tell. Isn't that crazy? I don't even, I don't even, I don't, I don't, I don't worry about that stuff. I'm not an equipment guy. Yeah. What do you, uh, do you, are you loyal to a ball? Titleist guy. Yeah. Titleist guy. That's been a, what a, what a relationship. What a company. Yeah. I find, I could just leave you one, one ball story. When I was going through tour school one year, Jimmy Ahern was my Titleist guy who was retired a couple of years ago. And he always gave me balls when nobody knew who I was, but Jimmy, this is back when I was just getting out of college and I was winning those little Hampshire opens and stuff. And, uh, he wasn't there one summer and I called him up. They sent me a dozen balls and I'm saying to myself, well, what the hell am I going to do with these? It's going to last about two days, you know? And, uh, I don't know where I saw the Max fly guy. He goes, what do you think about playing my ball? I said, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to fight titles though. It was like the HT back when Freddie couples playing that HT ball. I played it the rest of the summer. I won the new England open over there in Queechee with the ball. I'm like, Man, this is pretty good. I went to tour school as a second stage out in uh, Chandler, Arizona, Superstition Springs, and Jimmy was there. He goes, hey, I put your balls in the locker and some gloves and stuff and the hats. I said, okay. I said, yeah, I'm not playing your ball anymore. He goes, what? I go, you took the summer off. Like, there's nobody Titleist knows me besides you. I'm not going to, like, give my resume, hey, Jimmy thinks I'm a good golfer. I go, that's not how it works. I said, okay. And he goes, what are you talking about? I go, Jimmy, you weren't there. I'm not, I'm not, not going to fight for myself. Like, that's not it. I said, I'm playing the HT ball now. He said, okay. I said, when we get through tour school and you get done doing what you're doing, he said, you're going to play Titleist for the rest of your life until I retire. I said, and I will. And that's what I did. That was a long, long time ago. Pro, Pro V1 lately? I play the X. The X? I'm <laughs> tough on change. If you talk to people, I mean, I play the same clubs until they became illegal. I mean, I played the Zing 2s for like 19 years. They became illegal. I'd still be playing with those things for the, these other 14 years. I just have not – they've made me so many sets of clubs, every company. I just – I never switched. It was insane. The ball, I always had a hard time switching, but once I switch, I switch. But I don't putter around much. I mean, I never did. Now it doesn't matter, but like I, I had something that I liked. I just did what didn't want to change it. What um, how do you mark your ball? I marked my ball my whole life with. Uh, so first of all, I played the heavy ball. I played the high numbers, the five through eight. Um, so nobody had those. Yeah, I always used to use a pencil and put three little dots around the numbers. What I is what I did. That's how I marked my ball. Yeah. Now I don't keep them long enough, like it's till I lose one. So I don't, I don't really mark them. I got the D logo on them. <laughs> <laughs> All right, this 
this uh this last little round I call the gimme round short little questions. Do you have a favorite course in New Hampshire? Favorite course is uh I've got three of them. Okay. Sunapee, Portsmouth, North Conway. Say a little bit about why you like each of those three courses. I love Portsmouth because it's the biggest challenge for me. Uh, every day you play that course, it's different. The wind blows, a di- it's a different golf course, and it's very challenging. Uh, I love being down there on the water, and just the, it's just, I don't know, there's something about Portsmouth in my heart that I love. Yeah. I love North Conway because I won three New Hampshire Opens there. I played in one stadium in my life. I got to the semis. I won two chapter championships there. If I played every tournament North Conway, I'd have been a billionaire if they had to turn <laughs> They had the same grass as we had at Carter on the greens, and I just putted. I never putted bad there, ever. I, I can't explain it. I never looked into it. I just, I always just shot some great rounds. I, I played uh, played my best golf there. I have so many memories up there with the people and the camping. And the, it, just, it, was, it was just an amazing venue for me. Um Sunapee is just a place that's where I play my golf. It's so peaceful, great condition. There are no hard shots. I can play bad and shoot 73 and play good and shoot 70. You know, it's one of those courses. It's just, it's an even keel. And honestly, the number one course is Carter Country Club for me. I mean, I grew up, played there my whole life. But nobody played more rounds there than me. And, you know, that's where I use that putting green for 45 years of my life every day go up there and putt still do even though i don't play much i still go up and putt so carter is number one to me my heart but the other three those are the courses i'd play if i was on my final run those are the three i'll play that's a good that's a good roundup um what's your favorite club in your bag my memory i like it (laughs) All right, multiple choice. I think I know the answer to this one already from what you said, but let's see. Um, multiple choice. You get to pick one of these of your favorite shot. You you smoke a driver, you flush, say, a mid-iron, like a five-iron, or you're draining a long putt, say, a 25-foot putt. Which of those three are you taking? Taking the iron shot. How come? Because I, I think that's the hardest part of golf. Like, putting's not hard. It's a six-inch swing. The driver's just like you wind up and hit it. And the irons are, to me, the irons are finesse. There's not a better feeling flushing an iron and looking up, and there it is right in your window, going right at the pin. It's, just, it's like hitting a home run in baseball. You know, and you don't realize it so you can't do it anymore. I just took it for granted. I did that for like 30 years, and I didn't even know it, you know. Yeah. How, how hard it is. Yeah, definitely the iron shots. Okay. Um, do you have a, a favorite player right now on the PGA and or LPGA tours? No. I don't even watch golf. Okay. <laughs> I do, I mean, I'm coaching during all the big tournaments, right? Yeah. The Masters were at a tournament. Where, I mean, I watch – I did watch some of the U.S. Open this year, but as a rule – and these guys are making so much money. I mean, I don't know. I mean, growing up, I loved Seve, I loved Jack, you know, I was into it. I don't I'm 64. I don't have favorite players. Like I'm, you know. I no, I don't. I don't have a favorite player. Not okay. the plays anymore. 
Um, your tra- your golf travels have taken to a lot of great courses, but is there mm-hmm. still a course or two on your bucket list that you've not yet played that you'd love to get to? I don't think so. I think I I think I've played every one of them. I mean, you could name a few courses you think are bucket list courses, but I Pine Valley. Played the member guest there the last two summers. Wow. Is it as good as the hype? It's hard. It's a hard course. Even when you're drinking beer, it's a hard course. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. It's listen, I get it. It's Pine Valley. It's a hard golf course. Yeah. It is. Yeah. It's awesome. It's awesome. Yeah. Now you you mentioned back to Augusta you had gotten all these invitations to go play it and you said well no I'm gonna get in there the right way to play it but have you played Augusta? So my first year of coaching, the kid I told you about, Keenan Yant, who didn't make the varsity, I got a call from his mother in November of that first year and said, Coach, I'd like to invite you and two others to come down and play Augusta National on December twentieth, and I said. And one of them should be your son, right? She goes, that would be helpful. <laughs> so I brought my my buddy Shane, guy I was telling you about. He had to tell me I wasn't the U.S. Open. We went down and played with Keenan. Keenan's grandfather was the oldest living member there at the time. He had the first parking spot right there in the parking lot. And we get there and we're driving down Magnolia Lane. And Doc, his name was Dr. Brown. His best friend was Cliff Roberts. And, uh, he had a neck problem, so he couldn't lift his head up. He sat in the front seat. He says, Coach, he says, uh, you see those guys over there in the white suits? I go, yeah. He goes, there's your caddies. I said, awesome. He goes, if it takes you more than five minutes to warm up today, you probably shouldn't play. I said, I'm usually good about two minutes. And we went out. I remember I walked through the, the carport and stood out there on the grass. I go, Wait, where's the where's the golf? Where's the, where's the big course? Because all valleys and peaks and valleys, and like they go, this is the course, you know. Like, oh my god, we played eighteen holes. I shot seventy eight. I was trying so hard, I could not make a putt. I hit the ball really good. I shot seventy eight. I had the Sunday pin on twelve. It was like a buck forty eight. I had a little six iron in there, but I hit it in there like the seven feet. Missed it. I can remember. I can remember most every shot I hit. Only made one birdie. I birdied. Short par four up the hill, number three. And I you know I got done and I'm like, this is amazing. And then I got to play the par three course. And I I knew that was the only time I was gonna play. And the caddy kept telling me, Con, relax. I go, I'm not gonna relax. I'm never coming here again. I just had I, I did. I I said, No, I want to shoot a good score. Like I'm never coming back here. You know, it was 19 years ago. I and it the funny thing about that is you can tell, like, I don't watch a lot of golf anymore. I don't, I'm not, I'm not gaga Google over history, but I, that was the only place I've ever been where I could feel the ghost. Like I could, like you can feel it out there. It was different for me. And, you know, I stood on the bridge and did all the stupid things that I don't do. And uh, I did them all that day. Yeah. You know, it was amazing. You it was, Good for you. Yeah, it was a cool experience. All right, Rich. Um, last question. So golf has been a huge part of your life, and you've had great success in it. You've been coaching for a long time. So what is it about this game of golf that you love so much? What's been the attraction and what's unique about golf for you where this has been such a big part of your life? 
I think what I loved about golf, and I still today, every time I get on the first tee, I'm still nervous. Every round of golf I've ever played, I've been nervous in the first tee. And every round of golf I've played, I think today's the day that I'm going to shoot the best round of my life. I've always felt that way. Those those are the two things that go through my mind every time I show up at a golf course. You know, and there was a time where that that was true. I had a few of those days. But then it's not enough. You know, I think I think the only negative thing about golf is really if I look back on my 50 plus years that I played it, we just we we dwell on the bad things, you know. You shoot sixty-one. All you could talk about was the three birdie putts you missed. You know, it's just it's just the craziest thing about this game. I'm guilty as anybody. I just love golf because you you you're playing against yourself, you know, as a competitor. And I just I didn't pay attention to what anybody was doing in the golf course. You know, if I was if I was pissed, I didn't talk to anybody. I didn't want to ruin anybody's day. I just, yeah, it's just a challenge. The challenge every day to play golf. I think that probably and and the people. You know, I love to meet people and talk to people. I talk to everybody, and the people you meet on the golf course certainly was is right up there among that as well. Yeah, and the travel. I mean, I look at the travel, which I just have been everywhere. I've been everywhere around the world playing golf. Yeah, it's as I never really looked at it that way. The way you brought the question to me, I mean, it's really basically been my whole life since I was twenty three years old. Like that's all I've done, <laughs> really. Yeah. It's true. I never, never thought about it. Well, Rich, it was great to meet you. I appreciate you taking your time to come on the show. I love hearing your stories. Uh, congratulations again on getting inducted into the New Hampshire Golf Hall of Fame this year. And uh, thanks again for coming on the show. I appreciate it, Mike. It's so nice to meet you. Uh, I want to wish you the best of luck of trying to edit this because I, I can talk with the best of it. everyone thanks for listening i hope you enjoyed the episode granite state golfers is produced by dew sweeper productions if you enjoy the show please leave a review and share it with your friends until next time tee it up have fun in lglg